This is week three of Waymaker. Uh, just to recap, because this, this series has been expanded. Uh, week one, I preached week one in the middle of July. And we're already on week three, and it's mid-August. We've had so much stuff happen. Jairus, uh, who is the college group leader of Q1, came to speak a couple weeks ago. And then uh, we had our life group project last week. So we've been a little scattered. But I'm going to recap. So week one, um, week one, I talked about the first one, which was Waymaker. And I talked about how, how you know, God promised. Mo- I talked about the story of Moses in the Red Sea. And I talked about how, you know, God made a promise. But there was a problem, you know, Pharaoh's chariots in the bed of Red Sea. They didn't know where to go. And, and somewhere in Psalms, it says they didn't even know that the waters could part. So they, they were in trouble. And it was, and then I said, for the third point, I talked about the staff. And I mentioned how the staff that Moses was holding represented your mindset. It represented that when God put the staff, when, when God told Moses to put the staff where he was supposed to put it, he was able to part the water. So it's about where your mind is, is where you can see God make a way. And then week two, I had me girlfriend, Sarah, guest speak. She talked about a uh, miracle worker. She talked about getting up and walking. And she used one of my favorite miracle stories in John chapter 5, where it was the pool of Bethesda, and there was a man paralyzed, and Jesus went in to heal him and told him, do you want to get well? And she used a phrase that I wish she would have plugged me for, but she didn't. I was so aggravated. No, I was giving her her moment. She did really well. And But the phrase that I, I had told her, and I told her, you need to use this with it, is that praise God for what he's going to explain later. So instead of praising God for what he's already done, actually try to praise him before he even explains why you went through what you went through. So praise God for what he'll explain later. He, she also mentioned that uh, Jesus is the miracle worker and you're not. That was heavy because I want to make my own miracles in my own life because sometimes people don't get it done, so I need to get it done. And the Lord has taught me that through her messages that I'm not the miracle worker. I can't make things happen. I can try, but it won't be the way that I think that it'll work out. And that's what Sarah preached last week. I kind of expanded you. I kind of made more of an emphasis. So that was week two. Week three tonight um, is on the topic of Promise Keeper. So if you have the Bible app or a physical copy, or if you want to watch the screen, Genesis chapter 15 verse 7 through 18. It's a long passage, but it's going to make sense at the end of this message, and I hope you can pay attention. Let your spiritual ears hear. Genesis 15, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of your, the, your, the Chaldeans, to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Abram's talking in the face of God and he's doubting God, what God's going to do. And that just shows me that even Abram, who saw God, who knew God, who saw the face of God, still had a problem trusting what he was saying. And so he says, how will I actually possess it? Verse 9, the Lord told him, bring me three-year-old, a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, that's a great answer. Because when I ask for a question, when I ask a question, I'm really hoping for an answer. And sometimes God's like this where he doesn't answer it all the way. He just gives you instructions on what to do next. And you're like, Lord, that's not what I asked. I didn't ask for, uh, you know, A, B, C, D. I asked for F. 
I didn't ask for all this stuff from before. I asked for something a little bit farther. And God gives him instruction instead of giving him an answer. Because I think God's about to answer something later in this, which I'm going to give to you in just a second. So Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down in the middle in the middle, and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Excuse me. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. God is telling Abram what's about to happen to the Israelites from what I talked about in Waymaker week one was about how Moses would set them free. And he's prophesying to Abram what's going to happen. And then he says in verse 14, the promise that he makes, I will punish the nation, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations of your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. These are the last two verses I'm going to hound on at the end that I need you to pay attention and keep these two verses in your mind for the rest of this message. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates. I don't know how to say that, river. Okay. Thank you all for my grammar. Y'all are my dictionary. Okay. All right. So this is what I want us to do. I want everyone to stand up. Stand up right now. Sergeant, everybody stand up. Stretch a little bit because I know some of y'all were trying to fall asleep. So I want y'all to stand up. Everybody stand up now. Stand up. I'm going to wait till everybody stands up. You too, Mr. Matt? Oh, he's just complaining. So this is what I want y'all to do. I want you to look to your neighbor on the, on the left of you or the right of you, whichever one you're doing. And I want you to throw up your pinky. Throw up your pinky at them. No, don't worry. We're not, we're not cussing them out. Throw your pinky up at them. Hook pinkies together. And I want you to give them the name of my title, okay? Hook the pinkies and tell them, pinky promise? Now look to your other neighbor. Look to your other neighbor. Or do the same neighbor again if you don't have another neighbor. And hook pinkies and say, pinky promise? Pinky promise? All right, you can be seated. You may be seated. Tyler's <laughs> still hooked. That's my title. Pinky promise. One of the thing, one of the childish things about Sarah. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm messing. I'm messing. One of the optimistic things about my girlfriend is she likes to do pinky promises, which is totally not fair. Because I'm not a person that remembers. So when she asks me to do something, she says, Pinky promise, can you pinky promise? And I won't remember. Like, like, like when it comes to like, if I need to buy, if I want to get her something or whatever, she'll say, oh, can you pinky promise this? Cause she knows I forget. But at the same time, I'm just like, dude, this is so childish. Like, can we not do this at all? Um, and there's, and there was this one time where she like, like I was supposed to get her flowers, right? I usually don't do it. 
Like I haven't really done it as much, right? I'm a work in progress of a boyfriend, okay? So I'm trying to, you know, make myself remember. And uh, and I had a reminder on my phone, but she kept nagging me about it, even though I had a reminder on my phone. And so she, it's just, she's like, you haven't given me the flowers yet. You haven't bought me the flowers yet. And I'm like, dude, you, 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 I told you I had a reminder on my phone. Maybe I didn't tell you I had a reminder on my phone. Maybe not. I don't think I did. Oh, well. But the funny thing was, was that she kept asking and asking and, and wailing about, no, I'm joking. I'm just over-exaggerating. But she just kept asking and asking and asking and asking. And it was just to the point where I was fed up and I was just like, I was just like, girl, <laughs> ma'am, I was just like, she knew, I told her just because I promised you the flowers and it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen yet. And I told her, I was just like, look, I'm going to get them when my reminder tells me to get them because I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget. And we're like that with God sometimes. Sometimes we ask God for the promises he has spoken and asking for the promises that God has already said and it's powerful and everything, but you haven't seen it. And you're, now you're in a moment of not praising but complaining and you're trying to ask God, God, where are you with this? What, you, t- you promised this in your word, but I have not seen it. Where is it at? And the Lord is saying, just because you have not seen the promise come to pass doesn't mean I'm not working on it. And Pinky Promise, uh, the reason why I use this title is because it sounds childish, but there's a lot of purity in a Pinky Promise. Who still makes Pinky Promises today? Obviously, she's going to raise her hand. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Okay. Um, How many did it as a kid? You did it in elementary, pre-K. Yeah, you're a kid. You you do it as a kid, right? (laughs) And you still do it as an adult. But the funny thing is, is that as a kid, you know, when you do it with your homeboy, and you're going to give me your juice box, I'm going to give you my cookies, and you're gonna, we're going to do this. And we're going to pinky promise. It's a sign. It's a sign of trust. It's a, it's a physical representation or illustration of trust. And one of the saddest things today is that as an adult, as you go through life, as you go through reality, as you go through disappointments, you start to think that the pinky promise is a childish thing. When in all reality, it's one of the most purest things. That's why I put it in childlike form, because God calls us to have childlike faith. So that's why I put it in a way of pinky promise, because that's how God, I believe, wants to bring us down to that level. Not childish faith, not being, not being rebellious faith or some type of childish faith, but childlike. And the problem that we run into is those questions. Because as you get older, you ask more questions and more questions, and more questions. And, and you're, some of us are afraid to ask those questions, not because, not because we think we're bad at asking these questions, but we're afraid of what kind of answer we'll get. And with promises from God, we have not seen it come into fruition. That's when we start really asking questions. And some people think if we complain to God, it's a form of, of, of a lack of good heart. It's not a lack of good heart. It's a lack of reality of how you're feeling in the moment that you're asking God about the promises in your life. And one of the things that some of us might have been feeling lately is, you know, and you can ask yourself this question, have you ever felt like God went silent on a promise 
and now he has not spoken about it, said anything about it. You have not seen any type of miracle, any type of sign lately. His promises seem, he see, it seems like God forgot about you, right? Like I forgot about Sarah's flowers. Something that you think God forgot. I want to I wanna challenge that thought today. Not that it's a bad question. All of your questions are acceptable in the presence of God. That is acceptable. But one of the things that I think we miss is that clear, it's not just an answer, it's clarity. It's something with closure. And I want to read this to you because you feel like he's forgotten about you. But I want to do this, what I call a pinky promise study. I want to do a pinky promise study. On Romans 8.28, we all know, who knows Romans 8.28? Everybody knows this scripture for the majority. And it says, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. It's a great scripture. It's a sweet scripture. It's a cute scripture. But the study that I was able to do on it for the pinky promise study, I'm very pumped to kind of give it to you because because this is something that has taught me how God's promises work. Because that maybe that's another problem. Maybe you've been disappointed about God's promises is because you have been taught or you've thought the wrong way about how God makes promises. And so Romans 8.28 sounds very, very promising, very, very pleasing. But the first thing I want to read is the first part where it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good. God works. Another translation says that he works all things together. That is my First point, that is my first point, is he is working things together, a.k.a. he is in control. God, theologically, God has always been in control. He governs everything. He governs everything that comes into your life and everything that passes out your life. He governs everything. And I've learned something. God is always in control. But in my life, I've learned that he doesn't always like to take control. What do I mean by that? I mean, he's in control of what comes in and out your life, but he is not in control how you respond to that thing in your life. He's not, he's, he doesn't, he doesn't control your emotions. He doesn't control how you respond. That's your job. That is your responsibility on how to respond to it. Whether it draws you out to him or it brings you to a dark pit. It does two things. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to respond to it the right way or the wrong way. You go either or. But God is always in control. God is always in control of everything. But that doesn't always mean he takes control. The second thing I want to say is the second part where it says, uh, for the good of those who love him. And I want to talk about your good. Now, this is, this is the kicker here because your good has been flipped around through different types of phrases and different types of sayings. You know, cause you have people saying all the time, oh, for God's gonna do it for my good. God's gonna do it for your good. He's gonna do it for my good. Okay, here's my question. What good are we talking about? Which good are you talking about? Because if you are talking about the good that I'm about to talk about, then we're on the same page. But if you're not talking about the same good that I'm about to explain, then you might have seen God's promises and that's why you feel so disappointed. Your good is not comparable to your good. Jacob, you said that twice. What I mean is, is that the 
God's not looking at your opinion for you to be working things all together. He's not looking at an agenda to work all things together. God is not, God does not fit everything into your schedule. That is his, that's not his playground. He knows better than that because our agendas and preferences are oftentimes good, especially when we're saved. It's mostly good. But if you know you and I know me, my preferences aren't always for the kingdom of God. Let's be honest in this room. Most of our preferences are not built for the kingdom of God sometimes, straight up. That's facts. Uh, you can tell me how, how good of a Christian you are. That does not defeat the purpose. That actually gets debunked by the scripture where it talks about all have sinned and fallen short. None of us are righteous. No, not one. So you can't tell me. You can't tell me that you are this high up of a status of a Christian, yet you're good. If you told me you're good, if you told me what you think good is, sometimes you'll miss it. It's not your good. It's the good that you get when you change, when you get saved in Christ. That's the good he's talking about. Put that scripture back up, Romans 8, 28, Simeon. He's talking about, watch this, for the good of those who love him. Now I have a second question. How much do you love God? I'm not saying how much you need to, but do you genuinely love God? Because in all honesty, if we want God just for my good, if I just want God for my good to work, my preference to work, my agenda to work, then it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The problem that we run into, y'all pay attention to me. The one thing that we run into is that we think that our preferences and agendas line up with God, but we know better. And we learn better from all of this. His good should be in us, rather our good. His, his um, I'm trying to word that right. His purpose be in our good. Our good needs to be in his. And if we don't learn to put that into a perspective and put that into play, then we are failing and we get more disappointed than ever. That's why you're disappointed. That's why, that's why you have a hard time trusting God with promises is because you're looking at it through your agenda, through your preference, through your opinion. But I'm telling you, it's best that God works for the good that he knows you need rather than what you think you need. Because if it's always in what you need, what you think you need, there's something deeper. And Sarah said that in week two. She said, Jesus has a deeper miracle. There's a greater miracle supposed to happen. So there's a deeper need that has to happen. The one that you think is, is not it. There's a deeper one. There's a greater one. There's a more high quality one. God is more about the quality and more not just about what you want. It's all about your good but not the good that you think. So if you've been taught that, if you have been pushed to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the word that this is for my good, this is for, now listen, does that mean that what is my good? Can God work things together through my depression? Yes, that is your good. Can he work things through my anxious moments where I just, I just can't breathe? 
Yes. He works it through all of those things for that good. He works through those types of goods, but not for the motives of something else. Can he work things together through joy? Yeah. Can he work things together through peace? Absolutely. But he will not work through things that are not of his good. It won't work. The last thing is at the end of the verse, verse 28, Romans 8, 28, who have been called according to his purpose. The third one is his purpose, a.k.a. his glory. God, God does everything for his glory. No matter, here's what was encouraging to me. Even through the dumbest mistake, he used it for his glory. Through the dumbest decision I've ever made, he used it for his glory. Even through, because we think God works through victory. God works through perfect things, perfect situations, perfect parts of you. No, he works through the messed up parts, the, the, the jacked up parts, the parts that, that you keep dwelling on the inside. He works through those for his glory, but not for your good. Because sometimes, let's be honest in this room, some of the jacked up parts of us, we consider our good. But God is going to even use that for his glory. He's going to use that for his purpose. So we talked about, I'm trying to remember. I'm going to go back to my notes. He's talking about working things together, saying he's in control. Then he talks about your good, not the good that you think, but the good that he has put in you. And the third one is for his glory. Everything's going to work out in his righteous majesty. It's all going to work out. So you have to trust his glory. I'm about to flip my phone over. Well, no, y'all would see my text. Okay. So those pinky promise studies is for you to understand that's why you've been feeling disappointed lately. Because you have taken God's promises and put it to how you think it should go. And when you do that, you miss the mark. You can't even get out of the parking lot because you keep putting your car in reverse. There's a D, there's drive. Keep putting it in reverse. And you can't get out where you need to go because you keep looking at it through what you think. What you think. We value our thoughts the wrong way. Thoughts are important. The way you file your thoughts is important, but if you're filing it and valuing every thought that comes in your mind, that is a dangerous mind that you have. That is a dangerous place if you're constantly keeping not just good thoughts, but bad thoughts. Not just victorious thoughts, but defeating thoughts. Not just... Not just incredible thoughts, but also depressing thoughts. It's both thoughts that we need to keep one side more than the other. But we want both. We keep both. We value our thoughts too much. And we don't even consult God with our thoughts. That's why some of us overthink to the point of insanity. Because we will drive every thought and value every thought in our mind that is not true. That is not true. Let me give you an example. Oh, all men are the same. No, Josh is the same. Sorry, Josh. 
I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't worry. I know so many Joshes. All, 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 all men are trash. No, no. Kyle's trash. Kyle's trash. Not, not all, 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 all girls are the same. All this stuff. It is a neutral thought that should not be valued because there's more. Look to your neighbor and say, there's more of a thought. There's more, say like this, there's more to the thought. There's more to this thing in your brain. There's more that your thoughts carry that you need to understand that you need to file it. Watch this, y'all. You need to have a, 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 what do I call it? Like a, like, a, like a business call with your mind, like a business meeting with your mind. Because you have been letting those thoughts that aren't valuable value everything. It's, it's at the front of your projector in your mind. And all you see is that one thought. All you see is that one problem. And all you see is that one thought. Taking it captive is what your end goal is. Hold on, drop my coat. Hold up. I don't want my thoughts to be there and fro. I need my thoughts to be centered. I need it to be clear. I need it to be valued, but not disval- not valuing the wrong thoughts. Let me encourage you with God's promises in this. Second Peter verse three, eight through nine, it says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, the Lord, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What I've learned from this passage and even in my own life is that God is not slow. If if you've thought God has been slow, last time I checked, he's outside of time. Last time I checked, he has created time. And the thing that he wants is that he is patient with us to come to repentance. So when you beat yourself up, every time you fall short, know that he is patient with you. That he is patient with every mistake that you've made. And every, every mistake and every dysfunction, every sin that you have committed, he has been patient with you enough to come to him in order to receive grace, in order to receive mercy, in order to receive that shame off of your life. Because for some of us, there's a beat down on us from us. We go in the boxing ring with ourselves and we say, how much of an idiot are you to fall for that, right? How much of a dummy are you to fall for that same mistake over and over and over and over? And God is saying, I welcome you. I welcome that that dummy you call yourself. I welcome that because God is not bound by current mistakes. He is bound by what he sees in the end. He's the Lord of the harvest, y'all. He's the God of outcome. He knows what it's like at the end. So why has he been speaking to you when you have messed up because he sees something in the future that you can't even see? God's not slow. His timeline looks different than ours. 
The timeline is very different with God. He's outside of time, which means he's going to do it when he wants to do it. He's not doing it when you want him to do it. Because when he does it, I don't know if this has happened to y'all. Maybe it's just me. God has done it when he did it in the time that he did it. It felt a lot better than when I did it and when I wanted it. Every time he did it in his time, I actually, there was a greater understanding and a greater satisfaction knowing that he did it in his time rather than me do it in my time or when I wanted him to do that. So his promises will always pass and his promises will always come into fruition. But you have to be, you have to not be like Sarah, be like Sarah, where you don't have to always ask for the flowers when there's a reminder on my phone. God has a reminder about you. God has a reminder to know when to give the promise and when not to. God knows what he's doing. And trust me, sometimes we forget. Trust me, I have done this countless times. Because I have missed what God was truly doing in the midst of all my situations and all my problems. We doubt God's promises when we don't see it. This great reminder, which is first, was just 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, It encourages us that the Lord is not slow nor forgetful, but is patient for those who do not know him yet. He's always working things out. I want to share a story. There was, I have a baby cousin, not baby, I think she's nine or 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock. She's 10 o'clock. She's like nine or 10 years old. And uh, she, she's very, very girly, but she can be a little, little tomboyish. I don't, I don't think so. Kind of, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm judging wrong, but she, you know, she, she likes to do glittery stuff and, but she also likes to play Minecraft. So like she does like both, maybe that's not tomboys, maybe I'm just tripping, but, but one of the things that I, that she did a couple years ago, um, she never even gave me the thing. She was painting and she was, uh, she was painting something. She said, Jacob, come here. And I was like, okay, what you want? And she was like, no, I want you to see me paint this thing. Okay, I, I, this won't take me long, she said. She said, this won't take me long. I'm like, okay. So I sat right there. Ten minutes passed by. I'm like, Isabella, are you, are you done? Did you finish? She's like, no, I'm almost there. I'm almost done. I'm, I'm, I'm about to finish. Okay, 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 okay. Another ten minutes passed by. I'm like, Isabella, it's been 20 minutes now. I should be in my room. Why? Why, why are you not done yet? She's like, I'm almost finished. You, you, I'm, I'm seeing this. So another five minutes, and it's already been 25 minutes. So I'm like, okay, I need to go do some things. Not really. I'm just going to lay down in my bed. But like, I was like, I, 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 need, to, I need to finish this. This is when we used to babysit Isabella until she started going to school. Or I think it was even during the summer at that time. And, and I'm like, I need to, like, I don't have time for this right now. Like, I need to, I need to go do my own thing or whatever. It's just, it's just, I'm sitting here doing nothing. This is boring. Like, I can't do anything. And she said something that stuck with me. And, um, and from a kid, to hear a kid say this, showed me that God does work through childlike faith. From a kid. Because we th- think sometimes kids are crazy, right? We think kids are wild. But some kids say things that sound, it sounds weird, but it sounds like God speaking. And she said this, she said this phrase that I love and I'll, I'll really never forget it. And she was, she was like, wait, wait, I, I'm almost done with the painting. It's, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. 
You have to trust me. You have to trust me. I'm painting it. I'm almost done with it. I want you to keep watching because I'm almost finished with your painting. I'm almost finished with what I'm about to show you. It doesn't look cool right now. It was kind of ugly, actually. But it, 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 it just, it's not done yet. It's, it's not the best right now, but I'm about to finish it. You have to trust me. I need you to know something that the Lord wants to tell you. Trust the painter. You need to trust the one who is painting the frame of his promises. And until you get to that point, you will feel stuck. You will feel timid. You will feel so isolated in your life and feel like you're not growing in God's promises. You genuinely are and can be, but it's not until you trust the painter. It's not until you trust God, really. It's not until you really start to see God's promises go through. It's incredibly hard to wait. But that's why I've learned this. And I think it's in a scripture verse that I forgot to put up here. But it's God. God is saying that as you wait for these promises in your life, there is a community out there to walk you through it. And here's the problem. We are so independent. I'm independent. Yeah, okay. We have missed the point of community. The Bible does say, there is one scripture that I'm trying to remember where it says, do not forsake the assemblies. It's not just about a church. It's about a people. That's why we have life groups every month. That's why we try to, we try to, I try to talk with you guys and hook up with you guys and hang out with you guys. That has to be important because I've learned this. There is, you've probably heard this phrase before. There is a, uh, it's biblical. It's a Timothy, a, a Barnabas, and a Paul. So all three of these characters are, Tim, Timothy was young. Barnabas was old, was almost at the same age as Paul. And then Paul is what was the one that encouraged Timothy. That was the whole lineup. So like for me, y'all are like my Timothys. I consider it where I come out every Wednesday and I'm pouring out to you and I'm giving you this word, no matter if you receive it or not, it's out there. It's going to get out there to you no matter if you want it to or not. It's right here. It's out. It's gone. That's me pouring out in a way. And then you have Barnabases. I think that's how you say it, Barnabases. The Barnabases in your life, Barnabas, those type of people in your life are the people that are going through the same stuff that you're going through and y'all are walking through it together. If you're hanging out with someone that is keeping you stuck in that same place, you got to walk off. You got to walk out of that because what that does is that that keeps you stuck in a place where you won't be able to grow. You're going to feel terrible. You're going to be miserable. You're going to feel chained. You're going to feel, you're going to feel like you've just been eating a bunch of comfort food and now you feel heavy and now you feel like you put on some pounds because you've been eating on the recliner and you, and you just feel heavy because of the friends that you hang around with. The people that you put in your circle is what matters. And trust me, until you learn how to discern that right, I promise you, there are people out there that you can get with that are Barnabases, that are going through the same thing you're going through, but they can walk with you through it. People like that is um, is, is my friend Zane. Zane has been that in my life. And I also have uh, two other friends that I've been hanging around with 
Uh, one's name is Samuel and one's Isaiah. And I've been hanging out with them. We went to Applebee's a couple a couple nights ago. And we talked about, you know, because Isaiah is new to the faith. He used to be a Catholic. So now he's having to learn a whole new truth in Christ. And he's dealing with a lot of shame because with Catholicism, you learn a lot of good works and you learn you have to work to get to heaven, but he's struggling with that. So, so I got to talk with him that, and then you have your Paul, which for me is my, my boy, Luke, his name is Luke Arsama. He, 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 he's on the greeting team on the church in the church, but he, me and him have a Bible study every Tuesday morning at four 30. And, and he's like an older brother that I never, that I wish I had because, because a lot of times I had to be the older brother for someone or, or, or even in my own family. But for him to be that in my life, it's taught me how to be more of a bigger brother for anyone. Because that's the point of Paul to Timothy. Paul encouraged Timothy for Timmy to, to do his church, to work in his church. Paul is in the same way of that friend in your life that is going to pour into you. You need those type of people in your life. But if you're constantly by yourself, you're just tossed by the wind. You're tossed by every type of word that is thrown towards you because you don't have a good circle. So that's where you have to have a good circle. I want to end with this. Genesis 15, verse 17, 18. I told you I was coming back to it. Abram and God are about to finish the covenant. This covenant's a big deal. Basically, if somebody breaks this covenant, this means that both of them die. That means God has to die, right? That's just That just doesn't make sense. This is a covenant that if you break it, the consequence is death. It's not just some type of disease or whatever. It's death. And I want to read this to you. And I want you to understand something that these are for all my people in here who feel like you've let God down. You, you feel like God does not care because you have broken, for some reason, you pinky promised God. For some reason, I want to show this to you in Genesis 15. 17 through 18. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass. It does not say Abram and God passed through the carcasses. It says, look at it, look at what it says. Abram saw. This tells me that God took it upon himself, took the pot and the torch. And he passed through the carcasses himself and made a covenant with Abraham to himself. So you can basically say that God pinky promised himself so that you wouldn't have to. So that you wouldn't have to carry certain shames when you would break a covenant. I promise you, if I would have had to do the covenant, I would have been dead three hours later. Because I know I could never keep it. And so can't you. But God pinky promised himself in order for you to be received without blame, without shame, without condemnation. Because it's not your works that gets you into that. It was what God did. He pinky promised himself so that you wouldn't have to carry the burden of feeling like you would let him down. If you ever get the chance, read Genesis 15 again on your own time. He literally did it himself. Abram was laying down and he woke up and he saw it. 
Because God wants you to know that he's, he's saying, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take care of it. And it's the perfect picture of when Jesus, when God, Pinky promised his son Jesus, when he died on the cross, that was something he did so that you wouldn't have to. When you were out of Christ, you had to sacrifice your own self for your own sins, and you could never. But that's why Christ had to do it, because he was perfect. And he was able to do it for you and me in order for us to receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, for us to be resurrected with him, transformed in our mind, and for us to live for him. That is the picture of the pinky promise. That is the picture of what God wants to do for you because he knew you couldn't keep it. So he pinky promised himself. He went through the car, all the carcass, the dead, the dead animals himself, and he went through it without Abram. And he says at the end, he says in verse 18, so the Lord made a covenant with Abram. How can you make a covenant with someone who didn't walk through it? That doesn't make sense. That's not understandable. It doesn't make sense because he knew you would mess up and jack everything up. So he did it himself. He did it himself because he knew you would mess up. He knew you would mess up the situation. He knew you couldn't keep it. So he did it himself in order for you to be free. That's the free gift of God is that you couldn't keep it. So Christ did it for you. He did it for you. He pinky promised himself so that you could live free from the shames, from the guilt. Because listen, when Christ died, he unplugged shame and condemnation and sin off your life. But what we do is we go and plug it right back in. We go and plug that spot right back in. And God is telling you, no, this is not, this is not what, I, what I intended for you. This is not it. And the decision you have to make in your life is to know that you don't have to do anything to earn it, but you got to stop plugging that plug back in. You got to stop plugging those, that cynicism in your head. You got to stop plugging that thing in your mind that causes you to go into drought in your brain. And you have to put it into new life in Christ. You have to take those thoughts captive to know that he's a promise keeper. He will always keep his promises. But it's where your mind leads you to that shows you that he is a promise keeper, that he pinky promised himself so that you wouldn't have to. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Like I said at the end, it's the same thing of when God pinky promised his son when he decided that I'm going to, I'm going to send my son, I'm going to make this promise legit to where you won't have to feel the heaviness of feeling like you let him down, feeling like you let God down. But that's what Jesus is for. That's what salvation is for. 
Salvation is for you to know and understand that God, Pinky, promised himself in order for you to live in freedom. For you to live in freedom. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Stop looking around. Stop looking around. If that's you, if you have been living in condemnation and you have been feeling the weight of feeling like you let God down, if you feel the heaviness of shame, thinking that you pinky promised God something, really you didn't I want you to take a moment and ask God Lord I need you to speak through this shame I need you to speak through this thing that I believe that I shouldn't I shouldn't believe this but for some reason I do And I didn't even think he promised you anything. Yet, I feel like I need to do something. But it's not true. The Lord wants you to know that you have never let him down. If you did, there must have been something so deep in you that he couldn't see. But he sees everything. He sees everything in your heart. So there's nothing that you have that could separate him from you because his promises are settled his promises are settled his promises are sealed Father I ask Lord that you would wash the shame afresh over the student in this room or someone in this room who is struggling with shame, struggling with a promise that has not even been made. I ask, Lord, that you would give them, Lord, freedom from the shame. Lord, thinking that they pinky promised something, Lord, they never did. The only thing that all they need to do is to get close to you is to seek you is to worship you is to praise you is to seek your face and to live for you that's all they need to do there's nothing they need to do that can bring them any more of your love or any less of your love because your love is the same Father I ask Lord that you would put favor over every student, Lord, that has been experiencing guilt and letting, feeling like they let something down in you, Lord God. But it's not true, Lord. I pray that you would reveal truth over their minds and over their hearts and over their emotions. Lord, that whatever they think that they let you down with, Lord, you have, we have not. Because of Christ, there is no way that we can let you down because you knew it was coming. You knew what was in our hearts and you knew what was going to come into pass, but yet you still see 
us hear us seek us out when we confess, when we repent, when we change the way that we think, we can see that your glory is going to be shown when we repent, when we turn away from from the shame and the guilt, thinking that we let you down. Thank you for the greatest pinky promise you ever made, your son. Thank you that I don't have to live my life in constant shame. It tries to come back every now and again, Lord, but you have made sure when I go to you that I feel clean, that when I go to you, I feel joy. When I go to you, I feel the strength coming from within, Lord God. That is you. And I ask, Lord, that you would do the same for everyone in this room under the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be over them and that you would bless them knowing that the pinky promise is sealed. That we don't have to worry about breaking it, Lord. You have sealed it. It's already done. We thank you. We praise you. And we glorify you, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.